Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm really excited. All the way from Anchorage, Alaska. Let's go ahead and welcome Greg Booth. Hi, Greg. Well, hi. Hi, Troy. Um, the magic of the internet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How are things down in the lower 48, as we say? They're good. It's great weather up here. It's or, or down here, I guess it would be. It's right. springtime and things aren't super humid right now in the Midwest. So great weather. Yeah. We've been having a really cold spring. We actually had a little snowflakes a week or so ago. But uh, it's finally turning warm to more normal life temperatures. And the sun's out. We're going to get hit low mid-70s today. So it'll be our first spell of nice weather. Nice. Yeah, I see your all your all your videos with your two two uh, new new little puppies that you're I guess they're growing now, but so cute. Yeah, they're a handful. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're they're great. We love them. Well, I got to ask the question because if if people are tuning into the YouTube uh, video of this, I see in the background, you know, we got a log cabin with a, a rustic fireplace, and it's. You're actually living my dream, mine and my wife's dream, to be living in a log home. So what's life like in Alaska for you? Uh, it's been great. I've raised two kids, and they went on out in the world for a little while and now settled back in town. So it's wonderful having them. And uh, two grandkids from my daughter, Mandy, and uh, one on the way from my son, Dan. So wow, um, couldn't, couldn't really be better. You're living the life, uh, yeah. man. I love it. It's it's great. Well, how did you get started with all this music and dobro? I mean, I know kind of the history, but if somebody doesn't know your history, you know, what's... Well, yeah. I, uh, I was the son of an Air Force doctor, and we moved around most of my life. Um, part of that was spent in the Washington, D.C. area. And uh, some, some kind of switch got turned on when I was 14 or 15 and got really fired up interested in music and uh right around then i think bonnie and clyde or or so was on ballad of jed clampett on on tv and i just got really interested in the sound of the banjo and bluegrass i had a friend in high school who gave me a record she was into jug band music jim queskin and he was kind of really hot back then in the late 60s and she had this bluegrass record said yeah i don't really like this you might like it so she gave it to me and it was a record called appalachian swing with roland and clarence white just super high quality bluegrass instrumental music with a great banjo player and i just fell in love with that sound i just had to figure out how to make it my daughter or my mom got me banjo lessons at the nearest music store and it turned out to be a world famous banjo picker Bill Emerson, who played with the country gentleman, um, Jimmy Dickens, or not, not Jimmy Dickens, Jimmy Martin. Sorry about that. <laughs> and uh, so I took lessons from him for about seven weeks, and we had a great time together. And I was a fast learner and really motivated. And, um, went away to college and played bluegrass there with some other people that were really into it, and joined a pretty popular band. We played bars and uh, taverns in the Portland area. And somewhere around, I think it was Bill Keith, another famous banjo player. I uh, got a record of him. It was called Sweet Moments with the Blue Velvet Band, where he was playing pedal steel. 
And I'd already always, it's kind of always been in the back of my mind, the sound of the pedal steel was intriguing. And I really got deep, heavy into that and made kind of a huge musical detour and became a steel player and came to Alaska, had a career playing pedal steel in nightclubs and bars, sometimes seven nights a week for nearly 30 years. Um, so all, during all that time, I kind of developed a vocabulary of music and musical ideas and I'd never really been that interested in the dobro, but uh, I always kind of thought of it as a step backward from the steel guitar because, you know, the steel is so capable. You have all these pedals and knee levers and of elaborate tuning and uh, the dobro seemed really kind of simple and uh, why would I want to shoot a little Derringer when I can already play a M1 tank, you know? But then, then I started really listening to it with players like Jerry Douglas and Rob Ikes and then get, getting back to some of the previous players, Mike Aldrich and Josh and stuff. And I thought, wow, this is really cool in its own right. I had gotten kind of burned out with the nightclub scene, playing music so much in the smoky bars and the late hours. In the early days, it was like... Uh, we would play from nine to three, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and nine to four, Friday and Saturday, and I'd have one day off. Oh my gosh. Yes, yeah, seven sets a night. And, uh, and that went on for a long, long time. And so finally, I just really got tired of it. And, uh, I played with some great, great musicians and some really good bands, a lot of different kinds of music. Most of the time I was, we didn't have a guitar player. We'd have like piano, fiddle, drums, bass, and steel guitar. And so it was kind of my job to play not only steel guitar parts, but also most of the guitar parts. We were doing big variety of music, you know, all the way from rock and roll, top 40 rock to classic rock and classic country and, you know, wide variety because that's what people come to and want to listen to it, all variety of tastes. So that's, I kind of brought a vocabulary of ideas when I finally did get interested in, in playing dobro. And then the challenge was just figuring out how to make it come out of this instrument. Because I, coming from the steel, I felt like I had, you know, one hand tied behind my back. <laughs> Whereas uh, it was so easy to navigate on a steel guitar, you could play a three-voiced harmonized scale in, the, in about two frets using all the pedals and e-levers and stuff. But on the dobro, you really have to pick and choose and, and chase stuff around the neck and realize, well, that doesn't really work. <laughs> and kind of discard the stuff you're trying to do and figure out new things to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, that kind of brings us into... Uh... We have a ton of questions on Facebook. Uh, you know, this is one of my most popular uh, podcasts so far, as far as the the uh, amount of questions from people. But I just wanted to say, you know, when I first started, is 2007. You know, and YouTube. I guess there wasn't much on YouTube, and I found your videos. Um, you, I think it was you, Martin Gross, and Rob Anderlich was the kind of three people on uh -huh. YouTube at that time. And it was just getting going. You know, I think you had put up Panhandle Rag was the 
Yeah. In the Christmas song. That was one of the first. Yeah, yeah. And I was blown away. I remember, I think I was at my parents or I was somewhere and I, I was listening to the Christmas song, I think, or I, maybe I was at my apartment. I don't remember, but I was listening to your version of the Christmas song and it, it blew me away. Just, I had never heard uh, Dobro like that. You know, I've heard Jerry Douglas and I've heard, uh, you know, other people, but I've never heard it played like that. And that was way back in 2007. And so I've been following you, you know, as have probably a lot of most of my audience here, you know, since, since then, and your videos have just gotten better, the quality, the, the editing of your videos, the arrangements of your songs. And I just wanted to really say thank you. Cause it's, it's really been inspiring to me from a lot of different angles, you know? Well, you're welcome. I, I'm always amazed when people come up to me and give me a heartfelt thanks for, you know, inspiring them. And it just amazes me that I just put started putting these videos up. I had no idea they were going to get such attention. <laughs> and, you know, through my whole career, it's it's always one of the most compelling things is that, you know, you and I might not have anything in common, but we can make a connection through the music that is really deep. And even even playing in these redneck bars that I played in for so many years, some of these people, you know, might not have ever graduated from elementary school, but we can connect through the music and, you know, everything else is secondary. And so it's, that's, to me, that's one of the fun things about playing live music and putting these videos up is, is there's something that people hear in the music that, uh, it's hard to describe, but I think you know what I'm talking about. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and I see, you know, so much of your life, too, through your videos, you know, from the, the shots of your cabin and then you're, you've got uh -huh. your family in the shots playing with you. I mean, I I really yeah. love the, the quality that you're, you're doing now with all your videos. It's amazing. <clears throat> well, we have a lot of fun doing it. And I have to give thanks to my son, Dan, who's contributed a lot to those. Um, I called him B-I-A-B, uh, band in a boy, <laughs> because he'll, especially on some of the earlier ones, he'll play everything, the bass, the guitar, the mandolin, and uh, and I just play the dobro and sometimes some steel guitar. <laughs> That's so cool. Well, let's get into some of these questions. I, I, I hope we can cover all of them, and, and some of them I... I left out just because they repeated themselves and and uh two you you might have answered some of these on rob anderlich's page square neck journal if some of you guys haven't checked that out check out his page you know for that <clears throat> well here's our first one i tried to kind of put these in some bit of an order but uh tad smith <laughs> asks um ask him how he won rocky grass after playing for only a year and then he says seriously though i think all of us beginners and intermediates would benefit uh, from hearing about his practice routine when he was getting started. Greg is unique in that he's a top player, yet he can still remember his early days on the instrument because they weren't that long ago. Yeah, longer ago, the time has really flown by, actually. But uh, I think I started playing seriously when I enrolled in the Rocky Grass Academy in, in 2005. And, and I took... Uh, 
workshops from Sally Van Meter and Curtis Birch, who are the two instructors at Rocky Grass that year. And uh, it's funny because Sally, somehow, either by how I was using my hands or maybe scuttlebutt or something, she, she knew that I was uh, already a player and didn't feel that maybe I didn't belong in the beginner's class. But I really did because I didn't want to, a lot of steel players don't, they just try and use their same bar and take their same hand techniques over to the dobro. And they'll never really get, you know, a really good dobro sound because the mechanics and the touch and feel is completely different. And I, I really wanted to get a good grounding in the basics before I, you know, developed any bad habits. Okay. And that was really a, a good thing um, to get from Sally, how to make good tone, um, proper hand position. And I don't, my hand position probably isn't as, as typical as what you see, because I still use a lot of steel guitar techniques, but, um, so I, in those early days, a lot of it was just trying to figure out where the notes are that I'm hearing are on the dobro. Um, I took a, I think it might have even been before that workshop with Sally was, I was at Wintergrass and I had the opportunity to take a, a little three-day workshop with Randy Coors. And I just couldn't believe the tone that he could pull out of his guitar with completely dead strings. I mean, it was so big and, and awesome sounding. And I would put, put my head right down, you know, six inches away from his guitar, watching his hands to see just how he could do that. And uh, realize that you have to put a lot of energy into those strings to pull the tone out. You can't play it light like you do a steel guitar. Um, and a lot of it is uh, the thumb stroke is probably the most dominant stroke. Um, probably at least one thumb stroke for every finger. Uh, and that's that's what I do now too. I probably use my thumb at least twice as often as the index or middle. Really? Do you think that yeah. those blue chip thumb picks really help with the tone on your thumb? Well, Randy, I don't think actually likes them that much, but I really do. I've been using blue chip now for about six years, the same pick. And I noticed when I first started using it, a instant uh, improvement in the tone. Hmm. But, um, but on the other hand, there's, you can also pick too hard. So it's kind of a balancing act. Where you put your hand and how hard you play is on your right hand is, is mainly going to influence your tone more than anything, even more than the guitar you play. Yeah. Um, but um, Do you find that each kind of dobro has its own sweet spot as far as right hand placement, or is it kind of the same for, for most dobros? No, I think it's true of any instrument, whether it's a guitar electric guitar, acoustic, a steel guitar. It's got its sweet spot, and it'll, it'll be a period of adjustment, and it's, it's pretty much unconscious until one day you've, you've, you've hit that magic place where you, you go, okay, now I'm getting my tone. <laughs> and I think it's more just uh, unconsciously training your hand where to play and how hard to play and to, get, to pull the sound that you're trying to get. Yeah, what you're trying to hear. 
But I hear the same thing from all different players, you know, guitar players, electric guitar, it doesn't matter. Um, even fiddle players, it'll take them a while to, on a new fiddle, to find their sound. Hmm. And first they might think that it's not in there, but um, after a period of adjustment, they find it. Yeah, yeah. Let's keep going here. This one kind of ties in with, with when you were starting off. Uh, Bob Lawrence, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name, says, Hi, Troy. Could you ask him what a typical practice session for him is? Uh, finger slash hand stretches, scales, cordings, rolls, use of metronome, etc., and roughly how much time for each. Let's say go back when you were starting off with Dobro, maybe, you know? Yeah, because nowadays my practice session is basically getting getting out Kathy Callick's albums, listening to them and and reviewing the parts and recreating what I did in the studio. Um, and just playing is, is enough practice for me anymore. But I think in the early days it was... You know, practicing roles, um, practicing more just remembering where the notes are um, and and the finger grips. I, I should practice more with a metronome, but I've never really had that much problem with timing. So, you know, don't do as I do. Do as I say. I'm practicing with an Ephraim is a really good thing, but uh, I find that um, I can turn on a metronome and play with it, and uh, it's not really it's not really hard for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, moving on, um, and this is a really popular question. I had a bunch of people ask me ver variations of this question. Uh, David Whitaker asks, ask Greg about the history of his low E six string tuning. Only he and Mike Aldridge seemed to use that tuning. How did Greg come across it? And then uh, kind of going along with that, Andy Volk says, uh, when does he tune to low E and what aspects of a tune dictate that? And I'm just going to, these are kind of all the same question. And yeah. Then, well, let me grab my guitar. Yeah, here. yeah, go for it. And one more, Mark Eaton says, I think a better question might be, when doesn't he use... Uh, when doesn't he tune to a low E? I think Greg drops the sixth string from G to E the vast majority of the time. So. Um, anymore, that's getting to be the case. It's, it's definitely in this tuning most of the time. And sometimes I forget that it's there on a song that I normally play uh, in regular G tuning. And, uh, and I realize that I've hardly even played that string the whole song. Yeah, I uh, I got asked to play Dobro on this friend of mine's mandolin album, and he had this cool bluegrass version of Hang 'Em High, the the old spaghetti western movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the opening phrase is like a call and response thing. <laughs> phrase of code and then he wanted me to play 
kabuki. But I didn't have this note. You know, I just had the G. So I needed that low E note to play that phrase. And so I said, well, I'll just tune my G string down to E and then I can play that. So he'd go. with this E, I just started messing around with it, and I realized, well, that's really cool. I can get minor chords, uh, minor sevenths, sort of a jazzy sound, but it doesn't really affect the rest of my top five strings. It's all just regular G tuning. So that's how that started, and I ended up recording about half the songs on that album using this tuning. Um, and it was, I spent a lot of time on that because I had a home recording setup. And uh, so I would work up solos and you know, listen to it, listen back and say, well, that sounds cool, but what if I try this? And that whole recording experience with that album was kind of what uh, got me deep into this uh, drop E tuning. Later on, I realized that Mike Aldrich had recorded it, using it back in the 70s, Killing Me Softly and... The same grass, I think, those two songs. But I think where you've taken it, I mean, it's, I, I, I could probably speak for most of us that would say that, you know, I think an album is waiting to be made, you know, for, for all those arrangements you've got with that drop E tuning, you know. Yeah, it's, it's going to happen one of these days, for sure. It's, it's on my bucket list. <laughs> I feel the same way. I, I, I have some stuff that I've, I for years now, I don't know how many years I've just but I don't know if if you're anything like me it's like the the recording process is so for me it's kind of stressful you know because it's like you want to get it so perfect and then it ends up never getting done you know Yeah yeah I'm like that too I spend way more time recording at home than I do recording in the studio when you know you just can't waste that much time uh, when when you're paying those when the meter's running, but when it's on your own time, you're just tempted to just go for that one more take, you know. And I've with some of my videos, I think there was one where I probably did a hundred takes before I got one that I was happy with. Wow! But with video, you know, it's you kind of have to nail it from start to finish. Um, whereas with with just an audio recording. You can punch in and, and fix problems, you know. Yeah. Maybe you hit a bad note or you didn't play what you wanted to play. And you can combine tracks and punch in and stuff. With the video, it's not so easy. So, I mean, I don't know if you, you do this, you know, but I, I know with mine, I'll record the video on the, the camera, in, you know, and then have my audio going into Pro Tools or, you know, for you, whatever you're using. And then I can actually can go back and at least correct the the audio if, if the video is not too far off from what I'm playing. You know, you might. I don't know. Yeah. Do, you, do you do that or how do you do it? Yeah, I do that to some extent. Actually, lately, what I've found takes less time than doing a hundred takes to get it perfect. You know, with the audio and the video, is um, by the time I've worked out a part, I pretty much know exactly what I'm going to play note for note. And so I'll work on the audio first, independent of the video. And 
and get the part to where I'm happy with it. Okay. And then I'll go back and listen to the audio and play along with it. Ah. And since I know the part note for note, I'll just play it. And even though, you know, the what I'm playing in the video might not be as good as what I would want to hear on the audio, it's close enough. And as long as I don't get out of position and forget, you know, lose my place. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll shoot the video again. Yeah. But that's what has been working for me lately. Some of that stuff, though, is is uh, some of my earlier videos are actually what you're seeing is is what you're hearing at the same time. And quite a bit of that Orange Blossom special is that way. There's only a few spots where I bounce to a different track um, than what you're seeing uh, me play live. Okay. That thing took me like a month of several hours a day, first thing in the morning practicing before I could completely memorize it and to where I could reliably get through it without um, screwing up. Wow. Would you say that's one of your most, is that your most popular video you think on your? It's by far my most popular, um, gets the highest play count. Wow. Um, that video alone is responsible for about two or 3,000 plays a day. Wow. Yeah. All over the world. I, it's amazing. I, you're, yeah, you're, you're blowing. I mean, you've been, I, I, you know, ever since 2007, you know, I've been enamored with your, your arrangements and your, and your videos. But that brings us to another question. Lincoln Havens asks, where are the tabs for his YouTube of Orange Blossom special on Dobro? And then my question would be, do you have any tabs of your arrangements? Um, I have most of the videos tabbed. Um, I wasn't intending to do it, but I just would get so many requests for it. And some people were offering me big money just to the tab for one song. I mean, there was a guy who was... Paying, wanted to pay me a hundred dollars for the tab for one song. Oh wow! And I said, um, "Okay." <laughs> so slowly by slowly, I've gotten them tabbed out, and I just have them on my computer. And then if someone emails me, then I tell them, you know, how to PayPal for them. They're ten dollars a piece. Oh, okay. And then, then I just email them the files. Uh, two different types of files, a PDF that they can just print easily, and then a table edit file, which is a digital file that plays on this cool tab writing program. Um, it plays the tab so you can hear it. It's not doesn't sound exactly like the Dobro, but it sounds close enough that you can you know recognize it. Okay. And I'm really careful uh, entering, figuring out those uh, table edit files so that the phrasing and the inflection and stuff is pretty much exactly the way I play it. Yeah, yeah. So it makes it really easy to learn for an ear player that doesn't read music like me. Um, yeah. I can uh, I can put up a section of that tab and then listen to it, and it, it, the cursor goes along to each note, and you can slow it down as slow as you want to go. And then most of them I've actually included tabbed out rhythm tracks like drums and bass or, or like a chop and a bass that plays along with it so you can hear the context and use it to practice with wow and tell us once again what how how can people get a hold of you if they wanted to get one of your tabs 
Um, you can message me either on uh, Rezo Hangout or uh, on Facebook. Okay. And then, uh, and then I'll send you my email address, you know, in your message, and then we can uh, go from there. It's kind of it's kind of labor intensive on my end. I should I should get a website and, and just do it so people can go on there and, and browse and pick out what they want. Yeah, you're kind of the the king of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know Dobro about this. sales. <laughs> A lot, lot of competition these days, though, man, I tell you. Really? Everybody's doing it, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I need to, I, I love doing these podcasts, you know, but I need to get back to, uh, I, there for a while, I was recording every week, you know, a new, a new lesson, but oh. now I'm doing so much stuff with Hawaiian and all this other stuff, so it's, it keeps me busy. But, yeah. um, you know, before I forget, I know you're, you're, you got your Dobro, and people listening to uh -huh. this probably can't see it, but maybe talk a little bit about that Shearhorn Dobro that, that you got. Um, yeah, you know, I can tilt this camera down. Okay. And then maybe if I... Can you see it now? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, this is a 09 Shearhorn that Tim Belt, I... Went to his shop, it was while it was still in Dixon, Tennessee, not far from Nashville, and picked out the wood. It's northern curly maple. I wanted I wanted a maple guitar because I just love the way Randy Coors and, and Jerry Douglas's Dobro and sounded. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted some really gnarly grain. Nice. So instead of the really straight uniform curls like on Western big leaf maple. This is northern curly maple. It tends to have a little more ornate and wild grain on it. Um, maple all the way through sides and back in the top. Um, I'm really feel privileged to own this guitar. It's ever since I first picked it up, it's just sounded amazing. <laughs> It sounds anything you play sounds great well there, you know there's some questions that, that different people have but i just looking you know from this angle i know that um you don't have the the you know it, the strings go right over the bridge so you can do more uh palm blocking right yeah i uh i never did like the feel of that because i've never played an instrument that had that you know steel guitar and banjo doesn't have that mandolin acoustic guitar and i always felt that was funny and I I wanted access to the bridge for muting techniques, palm blocking and I've, I did was doing trying to do some palm blocking before I had it off and it, it was affecting the tone that I was trying to get. It was kind of pushing me too far up 
and I wasn't wasn't able to feel the strings like I was accustomed to. So I just first one I just cut it off with a hacksaw. <laughs> <laughs> And then I had Tim make me one out of a, a imported cover plate. He he cut it off nice and clean and polished it up and stuff. But on this guitar, his new uh, cover plates, the palm rest is removable, and so I just never had him put it on. Okay. And yeah, it lets me uh, mute the the bridge, like especially on false and prison blues. <laughs> I can put my hand right down on those strings, right over the bridge. Yeah. so cool that it man that's so cool and that's i know one of the questions somebody else asked is what kind of cone do you have i'm, I'm assuming a shear horn cone yeah it's a shear horn cone um in 09 i think he had been making them about a year or so i i stood in his shop and watched him spin my cone oh cool and he and he asked me not to take any pictures of him doing it <laughs> because the you know a lot of the cone is the skill and the technique of the person spinning it is how it how, is going to how it sounds and the tools that he's using and not everybody uses the same tools it's really interesting process to see starts out with just a little floppy s square of aluminum mm -hmm. and he puts it on this thing this looks kind of like a brake drum only has the shape of the cone in it mm -hmm. and clamps it to it and then with a series of different tools while it's spinning he makes the there's like two shapes. There's the center part that's raised and then the outer part. And he makes one first and then the other. And then while it's spinning, he uses a cutting thing and then cuts off the waist. It all happens in, in about less than a minute. Oh, wow. But uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. That is cool. Have you ever thought about using one of those Legend, the new Beard Legend cones? Um, I'd be curious to hear how it sounds, but I'm totally happy with, with the sound of this Shearhorn cone. And I wouldn't want to change. I might try putting it in this other guitar I have. I, from that Rocky Grass contest, I, I won a, a Ledbetter model Gibson. Oh, okay. That uh, when I first opened the case, I, I picked it up and the, the screen rings fell out. <laughs> it, it, it buzzed, it just sounded like hell. And uh, I just figured I'd keep it as a trophy and not ever play it. But then at Russell Summit every year, Tim takes a really crummy guitar and completely guts it and puts all new parts in it and does his setup work on it. And just to show um, what can be done and how a crummy guitar can be made to sound really and play really nice. Huh. So he, he did that with that Ledbetter. And uh, I'd be curious to try the Legend Cone in that and see how that changes it. Yeah, yeah. And I noticed too, you know, your kind of trademark of, of that guitar, at least, is that extended fretboard, right? Yeah, uh -huh. I'm not the first to get this. Okay. But I, uh, 
I saw it on a guitar online and I thought, wow, that's cool because you know, I actually do go up there sometimes. But even when I'm not, I'll use it for, uh, use those frets for, uh, for knowing where my chime positions are. Okay, so I got to stop you right there because I know my, my question, I know a lot of people have questions about this. I see you doing your, your chimes and, and maybe talk about that so people who are listening can, can hear. How do, you, how do you do your chimes? I do them the way a pedal steel player does it, with the fingertip. Of your ring and, finger, uh, right? Yeah, I use the. I put my thumb right in the crease of the first digit there, and then you you need to find a hand position where you can twelve frets up from wherever your bar is. You have the the note of the harmonic, and you get it so that you can have your fingertip and your pick on the string at the same time. And then you can just brush right across that fret and play whole chords of it. And there's another thing. I think this may be the one thing I may have actually invented okay. on the Dobro is that. quite getting it but it's a way of getting a sixth chord a c6 chord of chimes there it is yeah yeah and i use that on a couple different songs um a couple christmas songs there and what it is is i'm swerving at the last minute and hitting uh the 19th fret on the open d string which gives me that A note, which is the sixth in, in the key of C. So I've got C chord there, A note there. Ah, okay. Nice. Yeah, so with you having that angle too, here's, here's a good question I think that uh, Tom Wolver Wolverton asks, um, uh, do you find it difficult to play pedal steel and dobro? The pick attack seems so, so different. Um, that is true. Uh, this, on the steel, you have to really play light and just let the guitar ring and, and sing with very light pressure because it's electric. And, um, if you pick too hard, you don't get nice tone, especially with the, the amp settings and the pickups that we're using are generally really bright. So you want to just pick really light, but on the dobro, you have to, you know, to kind of spank it to get tone out of it and I've always had to alter my touch because I would always uh, through my whole career play banjo and pedal steel mm -hmm. and it's kind of the same with the banjo you, you pick it a little harder than you do a steel guitar but even even the banjo you don't play as hard as you do a, a dobro um, if you play banjo too hard then your tone kind of goes sour well, that kind of Paul Jones asks, and I don't know, you might have just answered this, but he says, "What does Deg, uh, what does Greg incorporate from banjo and pedal steel, and then from dobro back to those instruments?" So, 
Um, well, I often will tell people that playing a dobro is kind of like the right hand of the banjo and the left hand of the pedal steel. And if you put a, a pedal steel and a banjo in a blender, and then and then sort the parts out, then you then you get a dobro. Nice. <laughs> it's not exactly all like that, but uh, there is a lot of since the tuning on the dobro is part like the top three strings. That's the exact or four strings. That's banjo tuning. And then there's this note on the fifth string. So I can see all the chord shapes that I know on the banjo on the neck of the dobro. G chord. If I could fret those, that's you know I would know how to, I could. That's exactly what you do on the banjo. Yeah. Same with major chords and minor chords too. All those chord shapes on the banjo are the same. So that's kind of helps you with uh, knowing where the notes are. And then there's some other things on banjo that transfer right over. Those types of banjo rolls. And other some melodic things. That's right off the banjo. Then, uh, but it's tempting banjo players to play the dobro like a banjo all the time, but really that's not where it's the most expressive, I think. Um, depending on the kind of music you're playing, and if you don't have a banjo, sometimes in 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 a bluegrass setting, it's cool to, for to play banjo sounding stuff. <laughs> Think of the dobro more like a of a guitar, sometimes a steel guitar, and try to let it sing and be more expressive. You know, with vibrato and more longer notes, and you know, let it sing. It's very vocal. Everybody says that it's one of the most vocal like instruments to play because. You, you're not constrained by frets. You can slide in. You've got vibrato, yeah. just like a voice. So maybe talk a little bit. You you've got such great vibrato, and you've always told me that it came from your pedal steel playing. You think, but what, what's your approach to vibrato? Um, I don't like a really fast-paced vibrato. It sounds kind of nervous, like a mosquito. I don't really like that, and I know some. Old time players use a more faster paced vibrato. And uh, I don't know if you noticed, but my my fingers are kind of beat up. I've been uh, working on a project here on my house, so that's what these band-aids are for. <laughs> but uh, I like to use a more slower, more relaxed feel. And it's not 
it's not from my fingers so much as the, the motion originates up in my arm more. It's more of a wrist and arm thing. And if you think of a pendulum on a, on a clock, the longer the pendulum is, the slower the frequency of the, that it swings. And if there's more mass involved with your vibrato, then it's going to naturally be slower. So I, I'm, you know, if you're just doing it from your fingers, then it's going to naturally want to be faster. But I'm kind of getting more mass involved with the, my vibrato. That's, that's the theory anyway. Nice. Well, kind of changing you know, the subject here, we had a lot of questions about this. Um, Colin Henry asks, I believe Greg does not flatten his B strings. Uh, and then he says, if that is right, how does he manage to get a sweet sounding chord when playing a straight chord, either open G or when barred across, let's say the you know, seventh fret for a D chord, he says. Um, I change the tuning of my B strings depending on the song. And I don't, in the middle of a set, you know, in a live performance, I won't stop and change. But if I'm recording or just practicing, working something up, um, I will flatten my Bs just a, a little bit, like maybe three cents, no more than five cents. Mm -hmm. um, so that, so you have that sweet sounding uh, straight bar chord. But I got kind of used to the sound of the, of the tempered third, tempered meaning the tempered scale. Mm -hmm. Tempered scale is is was invented for keyboards so that you could use the same notes in every chord in every context. And it ends up tempering the third sharp from what the natural third uh, that your ear likes to hear, where there aren't any beats and, and there's no tension. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I got used to the sound of the, the tempered third, the straight up, you know, A four forty third, from playing banjo because if you, if you t let your B string be flat as soon as you fret the third fret on the B string, it's way flat to your D string. Ah. And uh, first thing every banjo player wants to learn how to play is foggy mountain breakdown. <laughs> And as soon as you do that, you realize, wait a minute, it sounds like, it sounds like that. And you can't have that. So you got to tune your B string right up to straight pitch so that it's, so it's uh, at, when you're fretting, it's right there even and uh, in tune with the first string. So I got kind of used to that, that's bright uh, third on my B string. And now when, when it's, you know, a lot of people have it about that, even that flat. But when you got to use that third, um, the B string in an E chord, ooh, you know how bad that sounds? Thing, um, Buddy Emmons, the famous steel player, the way he would tune is uh, he would tune his uh, B string almost or his thirds almost completely straight up to where 
when you play it with the root, it sounds a little sharp, but when you put the whole chord together, it's, it sounds pretty good. So that's kind of a, one, one way that I would do it too. But I'm not really a hard and fast on straight up on the B strings. Okay. I'll tune them straight up if I'm going to be playing a lot of in keys other than where I'm not using so many open straight bar positions. If I'm playing using my E string as the root, and uh, so I'm playing in E, then the B's all become the fifth instead of the third, and you don't want them flat. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's what I notice. I I play in a group and kind of do something similar to your version of Folsom, and I'll have to tighten that up you know right before we play I'll, I'll drop that e and tighten up my b strings let's see if we that's a lot of the questions honestly let's see here uh, oh yeah pammy i don't know if you've ever heard of uh rezogat in in north carolina it's in wilkesboro yeah i've been wanting i've been wanting to go to that i wish it wasn't so far away maybe uh maybe we'll have a kathy Calic band tour around this time of year and it's closer by and I can pop over there. Nice. Well, I tell you, speaking of Kathy, of Kathy and, and your band, maybe tell tell everybody what all you're doing and where everybody can find you online. Um, well, I'm getting ready to go to uh, Grass Valley, California to teach at the California Bluegrass Association Music Camp. Um, starts June 11. And goes through to the weekend where they have a great festival. Um, and then I'm heading to Knoxville to, to teach Dobro at the Steve Kaufman camp. Oh, nice. Straight from there. That's a really great camp, too. It's one, one of the best I've ever taught at. Wow, wow. And uh, it's kind of a long trip for me, especially. I try to use a mileage ticket because otherwise the cost of the plane travel is just too much. And I end up, you know, it's like a 20-hour trip because I have to, I have to overnight in some place, and it's like zigzags all across the map. And but um, the camp is worth it. It's it's fabulous. There's three of us uh, teaching Dobro. This year it's me and Ivan Rosenberg and Jimmy Heffernan. Nice. And the interesting thing about his camp is that every instructor teaches all levels so you have you get a you get a class with the beginners class with the intermediates and class with the advanced students and uh, so everybody gets exposed to everyone all the different instructors and their different styles and approaches oh okay so it's really good for the students and it's kind of fun for us too to uh, you know have a lot of different things to talk about yeah yeah is can people still sign up for that or is it I think there's still room in, in Steve's camp. Okay. Um, yeah, so I think it's flatpick.com. Okay. Check it out. And you're on, I know, you know, uh, you're on Kathy Kalick's CDs, right? Where, where can you find those? Um, Kalick. Kalick, sorry. Yeah, K-A-L-L-I-C-K. Um, CD Baby and Amazon. Um we're working on a new CD right now, um, well well into halfway with getting all the material. Um, this one of my, I guess my most recent video 
is that boot heel drag the bob wills love it i was just yeah. listening to that yep <laughs> yeah let me just uh, show you how easy it is to get to that tuning you leave the top two strings the same put the camera back down um flatten your g string a half step throws the whole guitar out. <laughs> it helps to have a tuner handy. I love having this low E, low D string. This was recorded back in the 50s, or 1950. It was a hit record for Bob Wills, uh, Herb Remington. Ah, that boot heel drag. It's really easy to play. The tuning practically plays itself. Yeah, yeah. I love that sound. Oh, it's so cool. So tell me, what from low to high, what do you get that tuned to then? Well, it's regular D tuning, like dad fad, D, A, D, and then F sharp with a D on top. But I've left the B string at B instead of tuning that down to A. That way you've got the, the sixth uh, of, of the D chord. B is the sixth of the D chord. And uh, that's sort of an abbreviated eight string uh, sixth tuning. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it would normally be in, in E, but uh, on the dobro, it works with, with your regular G, G tuning strings to to do it in D, D6. Some might call that a B minor. I think the Hawaiians call that B minor, but D on the bottom, I, I think musically, I think of it as a D6. So G chord is up at the fifth fret. Oh man, that's so cool. Now, how did you come up with that tuning? Did you somebody show that to you? You saw it somewhere online? I saw it on the Steel Guitar Forum. Um, they were talking, there was, a, there was a thread, you can look it up, on the original tuning for Boot Heel Drag. And, uh, and they gave the tuning, it wasn't on a six string guitar, it was on an eight string, I, I believe. Um, so I dispensed with one of those. I think it would be. 
forget which string I'm missing. You can look it up. But this is the, the important notes to have. You got to have that low to get that. That was the one thing I, I was missing. I was trying to figure that up. I was trying to do it on my drop E tuning. Yeah. And I just couldn't do that. And you kind of have to have kind of have to have that sixth tuning sound in it for in order to make it work. Yeah, that falls. Man, looks like from watching it, it just falls right under your right under your bar for a lot of that. I think that's the note that you would normally have in a straight six tuning is because you have you have an interval of you know a whole tone a whole step between uh, two of your strings and I think it's you have another string with that note so I had to kind of modify there's a really subtle difference in the melody just since I, I don't have that string with this note it's pretty much pretty close. Oh yeah, totally works. Did you do the uh, the middle part? Yeah. Oh cool. We're going to put that on the new album, and we've got it worked up uh, in three parts. That so sounds pretty cool. So cool. And when when's that album? When do you think it'll it'll come out? Uh, probably towards the end of the year. Okay. Uh, we haven't actually started recording it yet, but uh, we're working on it. Yeah, yeah. The last time through, we've got this wacky arrangement, and we'll see if it actually happens or not. But. Uh, our bass player, Kerry Black, who's a fabulous player and soloist. Um, we always like to give him solos because he's, he's so great. And uh, at the end of his solo, he's going to come out of it, and he's going to do that on the bass. <laughs> and then in, in three parts, we've got this worked out. So there's three different instruments doing. And then he goes. And he goes, and then, yeah, it goes on from there. I love it. I love it. That's, I'm just now kind of getting into Western swing, but man, I heard you do that. It's like, oh, great. You, you never know what you're going to do, but it's always, whatever you do, I'm always like, why didn't I think of that? That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, thanks, yeah. Greg. I, I don't know if, uh, I think we answered most of the questions. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, this has been great. Um, I was I was a little nervous about doing it because I wasn't sure what I was going to say, but um, I hope I hope I answered a few questions. Um, if not, come to one of my workshops and uh, come to Rezo Summit. It's awesome. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's, it sells out in an hour, but you can get on the waiting list, and uh, virtually all the waitlisters get in because people's plans change and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I, I don't know what the, they can Google that. I'm not sure what the website is for that. Um, um, yeah, Raw Bikes, Rezo Revolution, I think it is. Okay. Um, but you can just Google Raw Bikes and you'll find the Rezo Summit. Okay. Just curious, do you have that 
for the listeners, you have that tabbed out, your, your boot heel drag yet? I do, yeah. Oh, cool. Wow. Um, yeah, it's not that hard to play. Um, I didn't tab out this part. That's that old thing. Yeah. But I, I, I have the... That part. Yeah, yeah. And, and all the rest of it. Oh, so cool. Well, yeah, well, check him out. If you, you guys are interested in, in any of Greg's uh, arrangements, get on Rezo Hangout, shoot him a message. And... Uh, yeah, hopefully maybe we can do this again. But if not, I hope to to see you around, Greg. And I gotta I gotta come visit Alaska sometime. I've never been up there. Yeah, come come up to Alaska and look me up. Um, <laughs> show you my place here and go do some fun stuff. Absolutely. You know it's 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 beautiful here in the summer, but it's you know it's really beautiful in the winter too. It's it's a completely different place. Um, people are amazed. Because it's so lush and green here in the in the summertime, and it's light all the time, it's it's a great time to come and vacation. But winter is, has its own unique beauty as well. And here in Anchorage, it doesn't get as cold as it can up in the interior. And lately, it's, it hasn't been even getting that cold, not like it used to. Wow. Climate change and all that. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. You know, some people doubt that, but people up here in Alaska, we we experience it so. It's not nearly as cold as it used to be in the winters. Remember huh. when I was a kid, we could plan on a couple, three weeks of 20, 30 below here in Anchorage. And there's been many winters in recent times where it hasn't even gotten below zero. Huh. Are those uh, trails, is that is that your kind of your backyard when you post those videos of those trails with the dog? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, that's right out my back door, a lot of that. I'm not... Um, I guess probably the most often ones that I put up with the puppies and stuff are just on the drive up to my place. Ah. So about a mile away. Nice. I put the puppies on camera, but they just went for a walk with my wife. So just have to check out my puppy cam. Yeah. Yeah. Facebook. <laughs> yeah. My stepdaughter, she has a, uh, I've told you on, on messenger, but we just got a, uh, a uh, what is it golden doodle and it's a puppy oh yeah yeah it's... those are those are goofy dogs <laughs> yeah are yours very uh bitey like they bite nippy at you or um not so much of me but they sure are with each other they're biting each other all the time it's funny they're just sparring and wrestling all day long I think that's what that's what her little puppy needs he needs another little brother or something sister that they can just bite each other <laughs> yeah we always wanted to get buddy our our old golden retriever he passed away in last december a companion but once he got to be an adult he was he didn't really like having other dogs in his space oh really and, uh, yeah he'd be i think most dogs are like that you get and bring a dog into their house and things don't often go well. So we figured we'd get two brothers, you know, right from the get-go. And uh, it's working out great. It's a little more work um, controlling them, but uh, it's, they're a blast. You know what's funny is your, I think one of your puppies' name is, is Sonny, isn't it? Yeah. Famous Bluegrass Brothers, Sonny and Bobby Osborne. Okay. We're trying to come up with 
some brothers' names. Um, Jim and Jesse would have been good. But uh, my wife suggested Sonny and Bobby, so we went with that. Nice. Yeah, her her uh, puppy, she named him Sonny, but S-U-N-N-Y. Oh. My, do- my, my son Dan has a dog named Del McFurry. <laughs> and so I won- my first idea was to call him Rob and Ronnie McFurry, or the traveling McFurries. <laughs> but Robbie and Ronnie, they sounded too much alike, so we went with Sonny and Bobby. That's great. I'll put up another puppy cam in the next couple of days. Yeah, yeah. Now, on Facebook, do you have a, a Greg Booth like page, or is it just your personal page on there? That no, it's just my page, personal page. Gotcha. Well, cool, Greg. Well, man, I don't want to keep you too long, but I really appreciate you being on the show, and and thanks for everything. You're welcome, Troy. My pleasure. And uh, see you all at camp or on my next video, or um, nice talking with you. Yeah, absolutely. Take care. Bye.